Good morning, church. Um, grateful to be back with you. We established last week that we're going to do this four-week series on the Beatitudes, and we're not going to go in order, and um, I'm not going to do every single one of them. We're just going to do four. But what we established last week is that uh, when we realized that these were Jesus' first public words in Matthew, the very start of his first message to the people, we sit up, we perk our ears, and we try to really understand what these simple yet somehow very complex statements have to say to us. Um, so this week we're going to dig in on blessed are the pure. Last week we did blessed are the peacemakers. One uh, kind of cool thing to look at with the Beatitudes is how they contrast with the Ten Commandments. And look at what Jesus said and, and how Moses delivered the Ten Commandments. Um, both, in essence, are just a list of rules or principles to live your life by. Both uh, marked a beginning. But with Moses, Moses had been with the people already three months when he delivered the Ten Commandments after he led them out of Egypt. Um, the Beatitudes marked a beginning for Jesus as well, um, but Jesus hadn't really been with the crowds and been with the people yet. He was speak, speaking out of a different kind of authority. So Moses had earned his stripes, um, if you want to say it that way. Moses went up the mountain and received the, uh, the Ten Commandments and then brought them down to the people and delivered them. Jesus brought the people up the mountain and delivered the Beatitudes to them there. Moses, um, if you think about the Ten Commandments, they were a, a list of things to avoid. Don't be cussing, don't be uh, stealing, don't be coveting, uh, don't be killing, right? The the Beatitudes are different. They're mindsets to pursue or behaviors to pursue. With Moses, the Ten Commandments were written in stone. So when someone wanted to see what the rules were, they had to turn their eyes to a tablet. Jesus didn't write the Beatitudes down in stone. He delivered them verbally. So if you wanted to hear the calling, you had to turn your eyes to Jesus. And I found in the Catholic Catechism of all places a uh, really beautiful description of the Beatitudes. I wanted to read it for you. It says, The Beatitudes depict the countenance of Jesus Christ. They express the vocation of the faithful. They shed light on the actions and attitudes and characteristics of the Christian life. And this is the part I really liked. They take up the promises made to the chosen people since Abraham. The Beatitudes fulfill the promises by ordering them no longer merely to the possession of a territory, but to the kingdom of heaven. So the Beatitude we're going to dig in on this week, I said, is blessed are the pure. And this one is found in Matthew 5, 8. And I'll read the, the full thing quickly here. So this is Matthew 5, 8, if I can get to it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So just like with uh, the peacemakers, we had to dig into the specific words and, and understand how they made sense in the context of the time and the people and expand our definition of the word to, to fully understand the full beatitude. And so we'll do the same thing with pure or purity. 
And the first thing to, to realize about purity is that purity is essential. We all rely on purity. Everyone does. We expect our water to be pure, to have none of the things that we don't need and to have everything that we do need. And then we hear about things like the, the issue in Flint, Michigan, where there was government corruption and it led to impurities in the water. And we're appalled by that. We expect our sports to be pure, but we watched Barry Bond's neck grow to the size of a tree trunk. And while it was so fun to watch those home runs, we all knew something was off. And we expect our leaders to be pure. And when we found out that our president used his power and influence to convince an intern to do some inappropriate things, we were hurt and we were sad. We all rely on purity. Even the cheaters and the liars rely on purity because the cheater needs rules to break and the liar relies on the purity of truth to take advantage of. Purity is essential. And the second thing to understand about purity so we can understand this beatitude is that purity is not a constant state. Pure, in its most simple definition, means clean. There is no clean without dirty. Our whole theology is built on these kind of seeming contradictions, right? It's by his wounds that we are healed. It is through his blood that we are washed. It is by um, serving that we lead. It's when our, our, we touch the sky when our knees hit the ground. Purity is not a constant state. And the Greek word really helps here um, in, in Matthew. The Greek word that was used was katharos, katharos. And my guess is you're already starting to hear it, the root of these other words, catharsis, cathartic. And now maybe it's just because I've been watching like too much Sesame Street with Rowan, but they've been like teaching me a lot. Like I need to let my emotions out. It's going to get to release it. But I really believe we've got to have these cycles of release. And we understand this at our core, right? I mean, if you've got a new baby at home and you've been stuck in the house, you need a release of getting a night out. If you're out running around with crazy air, and especially at the beginning of the school year, you may need a night in to just hang out and watch some Netflix. If you're tense, you need to get your body moving and go out for a run to release all those endorphins. We understand that we need these cycles of release. And so it goes with purity. Uh, another way the Greeks used this word katharos was in uh, military terminology. They would use the word katharos as they talked about uh, the military going through the ranks of the soldiers and plucking out, getting rid of um, all the ineffective, disengaged, or the disillusioned uh, soldiers within the, within the ranks. And this is where, with this beatitude, it really started to fire off for me is why would an army need to get rid of ineffective soldiers? Well, 
because they could be disruptive to the mission. Now, when I started talking about purity, your brain probably did what my brain did. When I first read this beatitude, I read, Blessed are the pure, and my first thought was about sexual purity. And I thought, I am not preaching on sexual purity. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not ready. Um, But then I started talking about cheaters and liars, and y'all probably started thinking with me about ethics and morals. But let's hear this beatitude in full one more time. It doesn't say blessed are the pure in sexual behavior. It doesn't say blessed are the morally upright. It says blessed are the pure in heart. Soren Kierkegaard is a um, philosopher and he was a religious writer from time to time. And he once wrote that what purity of heart really is, is it means to will one thing. Purity of heart means to will one thing. And I put that in my own words, and I would call it singleness of purpose. Now, if you have kids or had kids at home, little ones, you know a little bit about singleness of purpose. This is uh, my youngest daughter, Ella, and this is one of my favorite pictures of her. Um, Because it just, to me, sums up her personality. I I see who she is in that expression. And y'all probably, if you've seen her around church, you see her, she's a little quiet, a little shy. But she's actually just very kind of devious and uh, goofy and funny. And um, Anyway, I took this picture after we'd gotten home from HEB one, one day. And she saw this blue balloon as we were first walking in. And, man, for an hour, walking through H-E-B, all I heard about was this balloon. Dad, do you like balloons? Dad, do you think they have more balloons? Dad, will we, they run out of balloons if we don't hurry? Dad, what other kind of colors of balloons do they have? Dad, if we hold too many balloons, will we float away? That's singleness of purpose. And I see this even more in my son, Rowan. He's so intent on the things that he wants. Um, right now, it's cheese sticks. My sister goes, is it cheese? She's been with us for two days, and she's like, it's cheese sticks. He's like so intent on those little peely cheese sticks, and he'll, he'll just out of nowhere, chi, 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 and we all know he wants, and then he'll walk, if we don't get it right away, he'll walk to the refrigerator and just hold his hand. He can't quite reach the handle yet, thank God. He's going, chi, 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 and then if we don't give him a cheese stick, he throws himself on the ground and goes, chi, chi, chi. And then when he was little, there was a cabinet. He loved to get into the cabinets, and we didn't ever put little latches on them because we're dumb. Um, but there was a, or we didn't do it because not because we're done, because it's not cute to have latches on your, on your cabinets. <laughs> uh, but we had all these office supplies in the, in the cabinet and she had these little sticky flags, you know, those little signatures that you put on and people can go to the page and sign. Um, well, he would crawl over there and he would open the deal and he'd get out one sticky flag and he would just flap it like this. And then we'd go get him, and then we'd take him, and we'd put him in a mountain of toys that made rattles and bells and whistles, and he would just crawl right back over to the cabinet, open it up, pull out one flag, and over and over and over and over and over again. This is singleness of purpose. 
And then I thought, what if, what if we lived our lives like that with a singleness of purpose? And what I'm not talking about is you can read books that help you discover your purpose in life and how to use your gifts, your strengths, and how you're positioned in the world. And I'm talking about something way simpler than that. What I'm talking about is our purpose as Christians, our purpose in a life following Christ. Our purpose is to reflect his light. Now, I'm going to take this little analogy probably way too far, and I may even get a little sciencey. If you think about reflecting light, if the mirror is pure, the mirror does nothing to the light. It doesn't change it or alter it. It simply just changes the direction of the light. Now, there's another thing that happens to light, and the word, the term is refraction. Refraction is when light passes through something, and because of either an impurity or a, um, a quality, it'll change the quality of the light and change its direction just slightly. So there's reflection and ref- refraction. So the more pure our heart is, the more pure our purpose and intent, the better able we are to reflect, reflect his light. Now, I feel like in this first little bit, I maybe have been dancing around my point a little bit, and I'm going to just try to punch it in the nose with this illustration. The Olympics just finished, and um, there were these two divers. Um, one guy's name was David Badiah, and his partner was Steele Johnson. And, and they did that thing where you get on a platform and you, you try to dive at the exact same time and spin at the exact same time and hit the water at the exact same time which is crazy. I don't know why people would decide they wanted to do that. But good for them. Um, no, but, but David was being interviewed after his dive, and I'm going to get a little bit of this wrong. I'm going to try to paraphrase it the best I can. Um, the interviewer said, David, I could tell that you had some nerves out there, and it was affecting your performance. And he looked at the interviewer, and he said, I'll tell you the truth is I was having an identity crisis. For a minute, I thought my identity was wrapped up in my performance and what medal I got. And then he looked at the camera and he said, what I had to remind myself is that my identity is in Christ. I had to remind myself that I love to dive. And I'm just so grateful for this opportunity God gave me to be at the Olympics and I got goosebumps. Mitzi and me and I were on the couch together, and we did that thing where you all look at each other. And I think we did that because David was talking about purity. David was talking about having a singleness of purpose. And he had to get there back to singleness of purpose through contemplation. And now this is an enormous task, to stay lasered in on your purpose. And sometimes it seems like the whole world is set up to distract us from our purpose. DJ, you were talking a few weeks ago about the Christian life being one of action 
and contemplation. And that's what we really need for purity of heart is contemplation. It's hard because there are so many distractions, and it's, sometimes it can be really uncomfortable to be quiet and just listen. Um, there are a lot of distractions. One of mine is my, my phone. And um, I, one of the things I've been saying I wanted to do for several years now is for the Lent season is to give up my smartphone and switch to a dumb phone. And, and I will do it in 2017, but somebody has to come up to me and go, Trent, I will do it with you. At 9.30, nobody came up to me and said, Trent, I will do it with you. <laughs> so I'm counting on you, 11. Um, but, but it is a distraction, and this is a crass example, but uh, I was telling somebody about this service we have at my bank, and it's called SurePay. What it does is it, it lets you send money peer-to-peer really fast, like automatically. And I like it because I don't have to write checks. I hate to write checks. And so I was telling this story to somebody about how I'm on my way downtown, and I stop at Chick-fil-A to go to the bathroom because Chick-fil-A's have good bathrooms. Chick-fil-A or Starbucks, that's like where you need to go. Uh, that's the receive your benediction. That's where you can... <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what were they saying? Oh. Uh, so I stop, I go to the bathroom, and what do we do in the bathroom? I got out my phone and I check my email because that's where I check my email. And I got an email, it's from the softball boosters, and there's some new shirt I got to write a check for. And I'm like, oh, I got to go downtown, I don't have time for this. And it was due today, and it's, oh, softball. But I, oh, Wells Fargo shirt pay, I just got on and I sent the money right away. And the point is, see, even like the bathroom is not a place for contemplation anymore. So it's difficult because there are so many distractions and there are not a lot of spaces for contemplation. And it can also be difficult because silence is awkward and silence is hard. It can feel uncomfortable to us. Um, There's this room in in, uh, Minneapolis. It's called the the quietest room in the world. And um, I saw this news story. I was just fascinated by this. They say they've got all these egg crates and whatnot set up, so it removes 99.9% of all the sound in the room. And the reason this room even exists is because what companies do is they will test the decibels or the sound output of their products in this room. But people can visit, and without fail, people say this is an awful experience to sit in this kind of quiet. Because they say your body makes noises that you weren't aware that your body made. Like you can hear your stomach gurgling. That's kind of the obvious one. But they also say you can hear your lungs going in and out. And they even say your ears make a little bit of noise. And in that kind of quiet, you can hear your ears, which kind of makes my brain explode. Um, And then if you sit in this room for too long, they say you'll even start to hallucinate. So silence and quiet and contemplation can be really uncomfortable. I was thinking, I read in my devotional just a few weeks back, they were saying, in your prayers today, ask God to tell you the thing that you've been trying to avoid for a very long time to hear him say. And I had to read it again. I was like, ask God to let me hear the thing I don't want to hear? And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I am okay with that. But it is difficult and it can be uncomfortable, but we need 
these cycles of contemplation to remind us of our purpose so we can get back to purity of heart. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, Mia just got her driver's license. She's giving me that daughter look. And she wants a car, and dad's mean, and dad hasn't gotten her a car yet. I'm letting her drive mine. And she really wants a Jeep. So I'll give you one guess what car she sees all over Bee Cave and Lakeway. What does she see? Jacked up, expensive Jeeps everywhere she goes. So when we have a purity of heart for reflecting Christ's light, we can't help but see his light everywhere we go. And we don't just need this singleness of purpose when we're diving at the Olympics. We need it all the time. We need it when we're driving home from work and have had a tough day and are about to walk through the door. We need it when we're about to walk into a business meeting. We need it when we're going into HEB. At least I need it. I was realizing, I tell you all a lot of stories about HEB. <laughs> like, God must realize I really need him when, <laughs> when I'm in HEB. But blessed are the pure in heart. Fully and completely happy are those with a singleness of purpose for reflecting his light because they will see his light everywhere they go. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to use this time to just think about you. contemplate your goodness. And we ask for you to wash our hearts, wash our purpose, wash our minds so that we can reflect your light. Your light is everywhere, in us and all around us. Amen.